Chapter 6. Who is Tim Winter? In Chapter 5, we found out that the Kaiser humiliated Shard by taking him off the case. Winter seems everywhere. Albany mobsters worry, and two married couples dispute. In the coming chapter, that is Chapter 6, Shard is ostensibly on vacation, and he confronts Alphonse Spinello at Albany's Little Italy. Booze, sex, and fear convulse others. The sergeants find winter. Maybe. Friday night in Albany. Shard pulled up in front of Little Italy in his unmarked Crown Vic. He felt a little guilty driving it since he was off the case, but this was definitely not Morgan weather. It was snowing as heavily in Albany as it was back home. The parking valet, who had on so many layers of clothes he looked like the Michelin tire man, handed Shard a ticket. As he slid into the driver's seat, he exclaimed, Jesus Christ, you have a shotgun in here. Yeah, Shard said, I keep my cigarettes in it. Don't touch it. The maitre d' told him that Cooper and Faith hadn't arrived. Shard took a flattened camel out of his wallet and stepped outside under the portico. He could hear the snow hitting the canvas awning above him. It was a beautiful night, he thought, as he watched the snow drop through the halos that circled the streetlights. It's as if all God's saints have come down to walk the earth again when it's silent and pure, he said as Copper and Faith pulled up. You know, Shard said after they sat down at their table, if this place wasn't so red, it wouldn't look like a bordello. All Italian at restaurants are red. Don't ask me why. It's like all Chinese restaurants have fish tanks, Copper said. What do all Irish restaurants have? Shard thought for a moment. Enough booze to float Sardinia away from Italy. They had to admit the food was excellent. Service first class, music quiet enough so they could catch up on gossip, and tables far enough apart so they weren't overheard. Shard brought them up to date on the case and voiced his suspicions about their host, Alphonse Spinello. But you haven't a shred of evidence, Copper said. What do you expect him to do, walk up to our table and apologize for dumping a body in your garage? I just want to take his measure and put him on notice that I'm watching him, Shard said. I also plan to intimate that he's a murder suspect. At least Faith and I get a free dinner out of it, Copper said, but I doubt little else. I'm enjoying the evening, Faith said. Cop doesn't take me out very often. I think we've been married too long. Not true, my dear. It's just that your cooking is matchless. Why waste good money eating inferior food? Besides, Shard's footing the bill. Have you heard from Hope lately, Faith asked. Shard and Hope were roommates when he worked with Copper, and the four of them had run around together. Shard came home one evening to find that Hope had moved out. She left a note to tell him that she'd found another guy, a drug rep of all things. Soon after, Shard moved back to his hometown to lick his wounds and work for the Kaiser. Not a word, I assume she's still around here. Ruth Scarpelli sees them occasionally when they come into the Iroquois for drinks and her perfect meatballs. I guess they're still married. I'm sorry, Tom, Faith said. I always thought you two made a perfect couple. So did I. While they were finishing perusing the dessert menu, Alphonse Spinello ambled over. How are you fine folks this evening, he said with a smile that wrapped around his entire face. Fine, Mr. Spinello, Shard said with less of a smile. Your veal tonight was outstanding. Thanks, Spinello said. If you need anything else, just ask. 
As a matter of fact, I do need something, Shard said, a little information. Did you know a woman by the name of Denise Sizemore? Shard noticed a hint of involuntary compression at the outer edges of Spinello's eyes. The restaurateur's mask of friendliness also disappeared. His eyes assumed a wary cast, an almost mean look. The mafia reappeared, Shard said to himself. No, should I? She's a woman who was murdered, Shard said. Are you accusing me of killing a broad? Oh, sorry, miss. A woman who I never heard of? I'm not accusing you of anything, Mr. Spinello. I just wondered if you had heard anything about her murder. You're a man who keeps his ear to the ground. Shard hated himself for resorting to such a grubby cliché. Yeah, I hear things, but I don't know everything, and I don't pay no attention to what happens in the sticks. I got my own problems. The snow is killing my business. I didn't mention Miss Eismore was killed out my way. How'd you know that? Shard asked. You wouldn't ask me if she wasn't your business. I guess that she was off on your turf. Interesting way of putting it, Copper said. Maybe a little cold, though. Same difference. She's dead, ain't she? I did tell you that, Shard said, and I want to find her killer. Have you been to Rochester lately? Rochester is way the hell out in the sticks. I ain't never been there. I think that someone killed Miss Sizemore there. Just wondered if you or maybe one of your boys had been there lately. I'm getting tired of this, Spinello said. But to show you what a good guy I am, I'm going to have my waiter bring you a bottle of my best wine. That's nice of you, Mr. Spinello, Faith said. Shard watched him as he walked off. And you learned what? asked Cooper. Did you see his eyes when I mentioned Denise's name? They twitched. He recognized her, my friend. Maybe he reads the obituaries, Faith said. The only obits he reads are the people he's off, as he put it, Shard said. Aren't you being a little tough on him, Tom? You've got nothing. My eyes twitch sometimes when I'm tired or when Faith walks by, Copper said. Maybe, said Shard. Shard and Faith stood outside under the portico's awning waiting for the valet to bring their cars around. Copper walked out and said, You guys aren't going to believe what I heard while I was in the john. I can only imagine, said Faith. Nothing like that. The heating ducts in the john must run through to the next room, so I could hear everything that was said in there. A bunch of guys were talking about how Spinello wanted to get some upstate cop. My ears picked up. I hope that's all it perked up, Faith said with a sly smile. Yes, dear, amidst all the babble, I heard some guy say that he heard Spinello wanted to off the cop's girlfriend and dump her corpse in his bed, but it went awry. At that, they all laughed at how stupid Spinello's boys are. Did they mention my name, Shard asked. No. I bet they were talking about me, copper. Except Denise wasn't my girlfriend, and she didn't end up in my bed. The rest accords with my suspicions, though. In round, yes, I'll give you that. Except it doesn't quite fit. If they off the girl you found, they did it in Rochester. You don't have a girlfriend in Rochester. If she'd been killed in Buffalo, that would be a different story. The guys agreed Spinello's henchmen are stupid, didn't they? Shard asked. Yeah, but why? Why would he send them to Rochester when your girl was in Buffalo? Even they could have found the right city. They can't be that stupid. But my famous gut instinct says that they were talking about how Denise wound up in my carriage house. Whoever Spinello sent got the wrong girl and couldn't find my bed. But he came close. 
Friday night in Utica. He washed his face slowly, trying to figure out his next move. That was quick thinking about winter on my part, he thought. I'd believe that story. Don't know why she didn't. I'll get some food in her and she'll be all right. If I keep her away from the bar, maybe she'll be all right. Maybe I'll put some movies on and get her excited and she'll forget all about it. I don't want any goddamn dinner, she said. I'm drinking my dinner. I thought I told you to get out of my house. I don't want to live with you. I don't want to live with an adulterous murderer, or for that matter, an adulterer. Now get the hell out of my sight. You seem to forget something, honey. We, 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 we own this house. I could just as easily throw you out, and probably should because you're nothing but a common drunk. The trouble is I still think you're the sexiest woman alive. That bullshit is going to get you anywhere. If I'm so damn sexy, why were you sleeping with that whore? And God knows how many others you've lured into your bed, and probably into mine too. I'm sick of it. We have nothing left. So get the hell out of here. You're being unreasonable, he said as he poured more rye. You have no evidence whatsoever that I've been unfaithful. I explained that I travel with Tim, who's a, been a big help to me. Yeah, and chickens have lips too. I'm not drunk enough to buy that crap. Go! Before I call the cops to throw you out on the grounds that you killed your lover. I'll make a deal with you. It's obvious that you are overwrought and drunk. I'll take a small bag and stay in a hotel for a couple of nights. Then I'll call you, okay? You can call all you want. I won't answer. I'm through with you, you bastard. Now get out of my sight. I ought to kill you, you bitch, he muttered under his breath. Friday night, also in Utica. Stan was watching the Indians play the White Sox, two teams he couldn't have cared less about. Worse, the Sox were ahead by 11 runs in the eighth inning. Even the game's a bust, he thought, as he poured himself another drink and settled back into his tan fall-leather recliner. I have about as much chance of getting out from under this mess as the Indians have of coming back. Shit. The phone interrupted his thoughts. Oh, my God, he exclaimed. I'm so happy to hear your voice. I was afraid you were, uh, uh, under the weather. Is your wife there? No, nah, she took the kids to her parents' house for a few days. She's not very happy with me right now. I called to warn you that if you ever hit me again, I'll call the cops and charge you with rape, battery, and intent to commit murder, and whatever else I can come up with. You got that? I lost my temper. I'm sorry. I've never hit a woman before. I don't know what got into me. Just remember I'll call the cops. I won't put up with physical abuse from anybody. It's bad enough that I'm sleeping with you. It shows you how desperate I've become. What's so bad about it, sweetheart? You're not desperate. We're just damn good in bed. I'm not interested in talking about the sack tonight, Stan. I just threw my husband out. I'm done with the bastard. I even threatened to call the cops on him. And I'll call him on you, too, if you lay a hand on me again. Have you been drinking, sweetheart? What the hell does that have to do with anything, Stan? Yeah, I've had a couple. I've earned them for being married to that asshole for four years and putting up with his philandering. I agree. You're one to talk, St. Stan. You have a cute wife, two darling kids, a nice home, and a good job. And how do you spend your leisure hours? Fucking me. You're as big a creep as he is. No, I take that back. He's the bigger creep. He kills his whores. What? What are you talking about? Wait a minute, I have to refill my drink. Are you saying he kills them emotionally? He sucks the lifeblood out of women. That's why I'm telling you, 
that if you so much as touch me in anger, I'll sick the cops on you. Got me? Gotcha. But did he actually kill a woman? Yes. Was it the one the cop found in his garage? That's the one. How do you know he did it? Did he tell you? Don't be stupid, Stan. He'd never do that because he's so smug and self-assured. How do you know then? Because I found all Tim Winter's receipts. Who the hell's Tim Winter? And what does he have to do with anything? He's my husband's alter ego. Oh, that explains it. Come on, sober up and make sense, will you? Screw you, you gutless wonder. You get your kicks beating women. I said I'm sorry. Finish your story about this Winter guy, will you? Winter's my husband's alias when he travels. That way he can check into motels with his whore and nobody knows his real name. I found some of his receipts when I emptied the garbage this morning. He claims Winter is a friend who works for a competitor and they exchange company information on these trips. But I don't believe that bullshit. He uses that name with her. She knows him as Tim, not Bradley. Then he killed her. How do you know that? A friend of mine saw them together twice, and she knew the woman. Denise somebody or other, who worked for Eckert Drugs. She's the woman in the obit. He was out of town that weekend, as Tim Winter. I have the receipts. He had to have been with her. Therefore, he must have killed her. Even I can figure that out. Stan fixed himself another drink. He glanced at the baseball game he'd muted. The Sox were up by 13 in the ninth. But that's circumstantial, Stan said. You can't prove it. I don't have to. That's what the cops are for. I can call him anonymously and let them figure it out. They can subpoena him or something. Grill him in a small, grubby room. I have a good mind to do it. What do you think? Stan glanced at the TV. The Sox had a man on second with two out. I don't think you should. If you're wrong, you'll ruin his career, and he'll spend you into bankruptcy to clear himself. Then you won't get anything in a divorce settlement, no alimony. You'd just be hurting yourself. I'll think about it, Stan, she said, and hung up. Friday night in Utica. Stan poured another drink. The game was over. Cleveland lost by 14 runs. I could kill two birds with one stone, he said to the post-game announcers who struggled to make intelligent comments about a game that was a total rout. Maybe I ought to call the cops. If they charged him with murder, we could go back to where we were and have more fun in bed. On the other hand, if the cops discovered she was involved, I wouldn't have to listen to her crap anymore. Maybe I could persuade Susan to come home. Either way, I win. But do I want to rat someone out? I don't know him, but she says he's a real son of a bitch. I don't have to give the cops my name. That way I stay free and clear of this crap. The two sports announcers were nodding goodnight to each other as Stan reached for the phone. Friday night in Leiden. Johnson looked at Periwinkle over the flickering candle in the Chianti bottle. My God, but she's beautiful tonight, he thought. Why can't I do like Jarl Hakon and chase her into the mountains where I could enjoy her pleasures? Your mind's a thousand miles away, Norseman. What are you thinking about, she asked. You wouldn't believe me if I told you, he said. Try me. I was thinking about Jarl Hakon and the beautiful woman who bore him a son. What made you think of that? Hoping you can pick up a willing woman in some bar after we finish here? She shot him a knowing smile. Just the opposite, little flower. I was thinking how attractive you are. Candle spluttering between us, dinner ordered, cold drafts on the way, 
snow falling lace-like in the patterns outside, and your hair shimmering in the glow of the low lights. What more could a man wish for? Periwinkle stared at him with her mouth half open as if to say something brilliant, but nothing came out. Thanks for the compliments, but you have to take into account Tony's low lighting. I look a lot better in dim light. Not even close, Lavender. You look gorgeous under Shard's fluorescent lights, so there. Are you making a pass at me? Nope, nope. You asked what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Fair enough. Does that mean I have to reciprocate? Excellent idea. Okay, Norseman, you're a hunk. How's that? Tall, good-looking, half-bright, personable, decent dresser, and certainly very much alive if you get my gist. Half-bright? I knew you'd hone in on that. Just kidding. But I'll be brutally honest. I think your divorce damaged you. You can attract almost any woman, but you have trouble making commitment for longer than 24 hours. I'm looking for a man more dependable, someone to talk with about everything, share confidences with, and to care about. I'd like a man I could love and trust enough to make and raise kids. There, I've bared my soul. Johnson shifted in his chair and avoided eye contact. I'm not that bad, you know. I'm basically lonely, like you. I think I'm more like the man you describe than you think. And I'll be frank, if we didn't work together, I would make a pass at you. I'm not Hakon, although... Tony, the pizzeria owner, interrupted them with their beers and a phone. Somebody named Neil for you, Sergeant. Neil? How did you know I was here, Johnson asked. I know where everybody is, Sergeant. That's my job. Okay, so why are you interrupting my serious conversation? I received a call a few minutes ago from a guy who said to tell you whoever is investigating the Sizemore murder that they should look for a man named Tim Winter. Got that, Sergeant? Winter. W-I-N-T-E-R. I can spell winter. What else did he say? He said you could find him at the Golden Pot most nights. He hangs out there. Who called? He didn't give his name. Can you trace the call? He didn't stay on the phone long enough. By the way, have you heard from Lieutenant Shard? Nope, but he's not at home. Thanks, Neil. Did Neil tell you what I think he did? That somebody named Winter did it? Yep, hangs out at the Golden Pot. That's down in Utica. That's interesting, she said. He must really exist. That stands our assumption on its head. Johnson thought a moment. Maybe not. But we were complaining that we had no leads. Well, we do now. Maybe, but it could just be some guy with a grudge against somebody. Had Neil heard from the lieutenant? No, but he knows the boss isn't home. How does he know? Does Bluter have spies everywhere? If she does, I hope they didn't hear our conversation a few minutes ago. But I want you to know, little Violet, that I meant every word of it. So did I, Norseman. I assure you that I wouldn't have gone into the mountains with Jarl Haken, no matter how handsome he was. Good. Here's our vegetarian pizza. Dig in. Maybe we'll go bar hopping in Utica afterwards. Periwinkle gave him a hint of a smile. Friday night in Albany. Shard followed the Coopers back to their house, a low ranch snuggled in 40-year-old subdivision. It was exactly as he remembered, except the snow in the driveway was three feet deep, and he had trouble getting his car out of the street. Do you ever shovel your driveway, Shard asked Gobber. Look at the sky, Tom. See that stuff dropping on us? 
By morning, there'll be three more feet of it in the driveway. This way, I leave my car near the street, and the three feet that piles up on it overnight blows into the road as I drive to work. The town plow comes by and takes care of it for me. Neat, huh? Yeah, beautiful. Look, copper, I need a favor. I'm certain those bozos killed Denise to pin the blame on me. The only way I can think of to get them is to look at Spinello's phone records. He doesn't do his own dirty work. We know Tiny killed that lawyer for him, but that was a screw-up. This involved an out-of-town hit, and I don't think that Spinello would trust Tiny and his other goon. What's his name? Tony Krepska, Copper said. Yeah, him. He's so stupid he takes orders from Tiny. So I think that Spinello hired the job out to someone who's connected in Rochester. If I could prove that he called some number upstate, I'd be on the right track. You trying to get me in trouble, Tom? No, no, no. We both win. You guys have been trying to nail Spinello for years. If I can prove he ordered Denise killed, I could take him off your hands. That'd be nice, I agree. But my captain is a stickler for rules. He's not loosey-goosey like you guys up in the wilds. I don't know if he'd allow me to get a warrant on your gut instincts and some indistinct mumblings I heard from a room next to the toilet. He likes you, I know, but this is a little far-fetched. Okay, copper, I'll tell you what. I'll throw in a bottle of ten-year-old Glengoyne if you'll ask him. Only ten years old? Come on, Tom. Why such cheap stuff in exchange for jeopardizing my career? I hear they have a seventeen-year-old pour that I haven't tried. Go for the seventeen and I'll sleep on it. Jesus, you cut a tough deal. But I don't have a choice, do I? Would you guys like a couple more beers, Faith asked? And you ought not to drive in this stuff tonight. You've had a good bit to drink. Why don't you just stay over? Okay, on both counts, said Shard. Friday night, Utica excursion. I always eat vegetarian before I go bar hopping, Johnson said as they drove down to Utica. Why do you have a convertible up here, asked Periwinkle. You can only put the top down two days a year, and I'm telling you, Norseman, this isn't one of them. Women love it. Their beautiful hair blows in the wind, and everyone sees that they're with a hunk headed for a night of sweetness and kindness. Baloney. The golden pot attracts a clientele just sort of the country club set, Johnson explained as he pulled into its parking lot. Why is it called a golden pot, she asked. Doesn't look like a pot. In fact, it isn't even golden. Beats me, Johnson said. I've only been here once. They could turn the lights up a little, Periwinkle said as the hostess guided them to a table. If I look so good over that checkered tablecloth earlier tonight, I must be a knockout in here. You are, Small Blossom. Jackson explained to the hostess, We're here to meet Tim Winter. We don't know him, but we're supposed to talk over a business proposition with him. Do you know him? Never heard of him, but I'll ask some of the staff, she said, and walked away. That's not a good start, Periwinkle said. Our description of him is so general that everyone in here looks like him. Now what, smart boy? Their waitress, who appeared to take their drink orders, told them that none of the staff knew anyone by that name. Sorry, she said. I'll tell you what we'll do, Johnson said. When I see a bunch of guys go into the men's room, I'll follow and ask if anyone knows Winter. You do the same when you think the ladies' room is crowded, okay? The ladies' room is always crowded, Norseman, but I have to admit that's a pretty good idea. That's why you're my interim, temporary, short-term probationary boss, she said with a wide grin. Watch the Johns and let me know when it's time for me to conduct my interviews, Johnson said. 
You're going to get an unwanted reputation that won't help you on your nightly prowls if you do that, boss. All the women in Leiden know that that can't be true, he said. Periwinkle gave him her best, oh, come on, look. In the following half hour, Johnson made two trips to the men's room to ask for Tim Winter. Periwinkle made one. Okay, we've struck out, Viking. What's your plan B? I don't have one. As they were finishing their second drinks, a man walked over and asked to join them. Periwinkle gave him a once-over and concluded that he looked almost perfectly generic. Nobody would notice him anywhere. My name is Paul Butler, he said. I was in a stall a few minutes ago and heard you ask about Tim Winter. I know the guy. He comes in here once in a while, but he's not here tonight. Do you know him well, Johnson asked. Now? He's something of a blowhard, and I stay away from him. I don't even know what he does, but with all his hot air, I'd guess he was a salesman. Do you know where we can find him, Johnson asked. Sure. He lives a couple of blocks from here. He often walks over for a few before bedtime. He lives on Mariposa Street, about halfway down on the right. Good-sized 1930s-looking brick Tudor with yellow shutters. Has a huge Norway spruce in the front yard. Do you know his house number, Periwinkle asked? No, I don't. After Butler left, Johnson asked, Do you want to take a walk down Mariposa Street? Are you kidding, Norseman, and walk in this weather? And what kind of a street is named Mariposa anyway? How would I know? For sure it's not a Scandinavian. The contractor who built the house is probably named after his youngest daughter, or his wife's dog. Friday night, Tim Winter. Winter's house was easier to find than Periwinkle and Johnson feared. When Winter opened the door, Periwinkle saw that he had some definition to him. Not much, she had to admit, but at least he was middle and tall, with shaggy, sandy hair and bright blue eyes. On discovering that they were police officers, Winter seemed to lose his composure. He began to stammer and gesticulate unnaturally in strange rotational motion. Periwinkle feared he was having a stroke. When she got closer, however, she smelled alcohol and decided he was drunk. Come on in, Winter said. Mr. Winter Johnson said, we're investigating the murder of... Who? Winter asked. My name's not Winter. It's Stan Pressman. I don't know anyone named Winter. What's his first name? Tim, said Periwinkle and noted that he seemed to be even more upset at the mention of Winter's name. Something very wrong here, she thought. Still, don't know him. What made you think I'm Tim Winter? Well, a guy at the Golden Pot said that he knew you and gave us directions to your house, Periwinkle said. Who was he? Paul Butler, Periwinkle said. I don't know any Paul Butler. What's going on here? We just want to talk to Mr. Winter about an investigation we're conducting. That's all, Johnson said. Well, before we go any further, Mr. Pressman, could we have some identification? That should settle a question, Periwinkle said. I shouldn't have to. That's harassment. The identification, sir? Johnson asked. Pressman handed his driver's license to Johnson, who examined it carefully. Pressman became even more agitated at the delay. What are you doing? Translating it into Spanish? It's a simple license with my name and photograph on it. It sure looks that way, Mr. Pressman, Johnson said but I'd like to ask you a couple of questions anyway. Were you home last weekend? All weekend, Pressman said. Can anyone vouch for that? asked Johnson. Well, no. You see, my wife and I are temporarily separated, and she and the kids are staying with their mother in Syracuse until we can work out our differences. Nobody can swear I was here except me, of course. Pressman broke out in a short, high-pitched giggle. You didn't see or talk to anyone all weekend? asked Periwinkle. 
I don't think so. It snowed so damned hard I stayed inside and watched TV. Drank a few beers, too. You didn't even talk to your kids, Periwinkle asked. Susan, my wife, won't let me talk to them. She thinks I'll turn them against her. Wouldn't mind doing it, either. That doesn't sound like the best topic to heal whatever ails your marriage, Johnson said. I suppose not, but is it worth saving? Only you know that, sir, Periwinkle said. One last question. Did you know a woman named Denise Sizemore? Johnson asked. Pressman blanched and flapped his lower arms as if he were trying to shake mosquitoes off from them. Only what I read in the paper. Someone killed her and planted her corpse at a cop's house. Really weird. But did you know her before you read about her death? Periwinkle asked. Pressman paused momentarily. No. Okay, Mr. Pressman, that's all we need now, Johnson said. Outside, where the flakes looked like quarters flipping down to earth, Periwinkle said, I don't believe anything he told us, Norseman. Did you see him? He was a nervous wreck, especially after we mentioned Winter and Denise. I think he's Winter, and knows exactly what happened to Denise. I agree, but how do we prove it, Johnson asked. Periwinkle brushed the flakes off her arms in the front of her peacoat as she slid into the car. We know Winter was shacked up with Denise in Rochester. Pressman says he was home alone. I can't believe he didn't talk to anyone all weekend. He's hiding something. Either he was in Rochester or shacked up with someone else. I'll set sail in the ether to see if we can get lucky with Motel 6 or something. That's the longest of long shots, little flower, Johnson said.